2: to die for is available now listen for free on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: danielle moody here host of the woke af daily podcast we've been with iheart for a year and what a year it has been as we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle woke af daily is here to keep you sane and woke Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David.
0: David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me.
4: But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blue part? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, it's Jake Halpern here. If you've ever wondered what it's like to make a true crime podcast like Deep Cover, well, now's your chance to find out. Join me and my friend Dana Goodyear, who's the host of Pushkin's Lost Hills podcast, on March 16th for a digital conversation on true crime storytelling.
1: We'll talk about
2: how we make our stories dramatic and accurate and how we navigate all the ethical dilemmas that we face in the process. Get your tickets now at momenthouse.com dclh.
4: That's MomentHouse.com
2: slash D-C-L-H.
1: Hey, Lethal Listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission. Well, I'm finding out that in this town, the dead don't keep their secrets for long, and the bodies keep piling up. The second season of Lethal Lit is available now on the iHeartRadio app.
5: girl, baby boy, it's your girl B. Simone and I got my beautiful pretty co-host, Pretty T. B. What's up, girl? What they do, what they do, what they do. You guys, this time on the Women of Wild and Out podcast, we got our girl Justina Valentine in the building. What's poppin'? We're continuing the conversation about all the hot topics that matter to us the most. We got amazing guests, the cast of Wild and Out, and more.
4: Listen to the Women of Wild and Out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast starting February 22nd.
6: My name is Steven Sox. I was a stand in on The Office, also played Justin Spitzer on The Office, and currently I'm the commissioner of The Office Fantasy Football League.
7: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Thursday edition of The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. And yes, I'm here on a Thursday. <laughs> Why? You? Ask? It's not Tuesday. Why a Thursday? Well, because I'm so excited. It's my favorite time of the year. It's the most wonderful time. Oh, we have to pay for that. Listen, those of you who follow me on social media know that I am a huge football fan. That's right. But did you know that a lot of the office family actually love football too. In fact, we have our own fantasy football league that has been going on for 17 years, an official The Office Fantasy Football League. (laughs) Now that 17 years, that's longer than some of you have been alive. (laughs) Okay. Now uh, the competition started way back while we were filming the show, like season two-ish. And let me tell you, our directors hated it. Our Assistant directors really hated it because nothing interrupted our ability to do our jobs like our obsession with beating each other. Yes, defeating, like pummeling one another. Uh, Seriously, we would spend as much time on fantasy football as we did on writing scripts or finding props or memorizing lines. And you know something? Those were some of my favorite times on set. So... In honor of our fantasy football crew, I'm going to be launching a special Thursday edition of the podcast called The Office Deep Dive Fantasy Edition, where I bring on special guests and members of our league to talk all things The Office and, well, maybe a little football too. You'll know some of the crew, like Rain Wilson, John Krasinski, others you're going to be meeting for the very first time, like my guest today. So, to kick things off, we're going to bring in a, a very special person. He is the glue that kept our league together, and a man I am so lucky to call my friend, our commissioner, Stephen Socks. This is a man who's really an unsung hero of the show and a huge part of our office family. Stephen was a stand-in for six years. Uh, he appeared in several episodes as the character Justin Spitzer, and he was actually one of the last people to say goodbye to Steve on camera. He was on set with us day in and day out, in in his words, biting his wallet during takes so he wouldn't ruin a shot uh, laughing, and literally watching his own family grow up with The Office. But most importantly... He has kept our Fantasy Football League together all of these years. So, please join me in giving a warm, deep-dive welcome to the man who, well, has won the league, but also won all of our hearts. The amazing Stephen Sox.
2: Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know Bubble and squeak, I cook it every moment, left over from the night before.
6: Brian. There he is.
7: What's up, Stephen?
6: So good to see you.
7: I know it's it's been so long.
6: It has. I mean, we've talked and texted, but to see you is is really nice.
7: I know what happened to your hair. <laughs> well, it's not even be more gone. like you. It's, yeah, well,
6: there you go. <laughs> you know, I always I, I was always bald. I just always wore a black cap backwards for lighting on the set just to make sure that I didn't uh, except for you, I'd take it off. Um <laughs> and and maybe Creed cuz he had really light hair too and so you know that was the way I kept my job is to have a little dark on my top of my head. For no, I know it just looks shinier. <laughs> Let's just be, well,
7: it just looks yes. shine. Maybe you polished it this morning. We're getting or older, Brian. Yeah, you, well, <laughs> we sure are. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you.
6: What um, what? So you're good. You survived. Doing good. This, yes. Yeah, we have survived. It was uh, it was you know, I think for parents, it's the the hardest part of the whole thing is you're trying to protect your kids in so many different ways, not only health-wise, but you know, mental health-wise uh, right. with school. And um, we did distance learning for the last year and a half, and it's it's been good for them. Uh, that's that's not the case for a lot of kids, I'd say.
7: Well, that's great. Well, and I feel like your family, I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but your family was so much a part of the office experience as well. I just saw a video rain- Wilson sent of his son Walter jamming with Creed. And I started thinking about your family as well. And Walter, I mean, Walter's like a grown up now. And he was, the the reason I know his age is because he was born when we were shooting the first four episodes of The Office. It's incredible.
6: We had that. We had that on the set. We had, you know, families being made. And I think probably the reason you're thinking that, too, is to have uh, my wife and I on the set at the same time. I mean, that was, that's a, kind of a unique thing, too.
7: Right. Okay. So now, for those people who don't know, how would you describe the job of a stand-in? If you uh, say standing yeah. in, then right. that, no. Okay, go ahead.
6: <laughs> no. Uh, a stand-in is another Screen Actors Guild job on the set is also known as second team and uh, will we'll watch the rehearsals of a scene uh, by the actors. The actors are also called first team. And, and usually during the last rehearsal, the camera department will throw down some marks on the like tape marks on the ground, just spots that the actors will land on. That's called blocking. And then after rehearsal, the actors, you know, have some time because the camera and lighting are preparing for the shot and stuff. So the actors go off and, you know, finish up hair and makeup or go over your lines or, or whatever you guys do. And the stand-ins will stand in uh, the places that are, that are marked during that blocking and help the director of photography, the DP, light the scene and coordinate the movements of the camera and stuff. So so the stand-in needs to just basically pay attention to what's going on in the scene and really get the movements down uh, that the actor was doing. Sometimes I mean on the office it could be so easy. I mean there's so many talking heads. You could sit there for 45 minutes. The, the lighting is pretty much preset. But it could be kind of complicated. I remember like Jim and Pam the proposal. The proposal was and you weren't there for that, but that's an entire production of the with the with the rain and the, right, at the your, gas next station. to the freeway, right. you know, and at the gas station, you would do like a uh, a run through without the actor just to make sure everything was done. So there were one time, I actually drove the car into the rain, and the, the the cars are going on the freeway. And I got out and got to propo- propose and <laughs> knelt down in the rain and did it before uh, John and Jenna. It was very exciting.
7: Right now, how, so you watch the rehearsal, you see where everybody's moving, and I know, for example, on the office, th- sometimes adjustments would be made. Now, then, would you communicate with the actors any sort of adjustments that that happen?
6: That's a great question because you're supposed to give some adjustments, but there's a balance there. You have a balance of two things, what the actor wants to hear from a stand-in and also what the director wants to tell the actor himself. So you you learn your, your relationship with the actor. Some actors don't really want any kind of instruction other than from a director. Others would love to sit down and get all the details and they just want to get it all together. Right. Okay, so
7: let's go back to circa two thousand seven, eight-ish. What were mm-hmm. you doing before the office?
6: I was managing a gym okay. in Santa Monica. And uh Lori was in between jobs and she was doing some assistant work for people. Lori, your wife. Oh yes, Lori, my wife. Yep. And uh we're both actors, went through Second City here together and and um were pursuing acting, looking for a job that was flexible. So she was kind of running errands for people. And one of the people she was running errands for, uh, Kelly Cantley, uh, an assistant director, and kind of ran out of work for, for Lori to do. And Kelly asked Lori if she'd like to do some background on a show she was working on, which happened to be season two of The Office. And so she knew we were Screen Actors Guild members and so offered that job. And Lori was like, uh, in fact, I remember Lori calling me, going, "Should I do background? I get, I get, you know, I guess." I go, "You're not doing anything. Let's let's do it. Let's 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 work." Right. So she did, and that um booze cruise was her first was her first episode. Okay, booze cruise. So that's that season was- two. That's like mid season two or something. I think.
7: Yeah, early mid season two, but probably our most difficult episode
6: to film was her first episode That's she incredible. had problems just getting to set i remember it was in long beach this was kind of before well i guess i had a cell phone but i don't know if she had a cell phone i don't really remember but we didn't have like ways or you know uh google maps and stuff so her getting down to long beach i remember she was calling me early early in the morning she's like i'm lost i don't you know <laughs> and it was one of these things going is this gonna work out is this job gonna work out we're we, you know this is the way we're gonna start and uh She had a blast. It was great.
7: Yeah. So she was there as the female stand-in for... Yeah,
6: then... Well, they only had... This is very weird, too, because Screen Actors Guild usually, because it's a union, designates that there'll be a stand-in for every actor on a set. And, I mean, we could have 15 actors on a a scene at one time, and there was one stand-in at that time, a man. Wow. And... They were like, oh, well, let's get a second stand-in. And so they need a female. And I don't know if it was because of the documentary style or, or however they got away with with that through the union, but that's how it was. And they asked Lori about that. And again, we were we were like, Well, I mean, is it you can have enough time, you know, to audition and stuff like that. You know, that the kind of idea of the the non-working actor going, I need to make time for my, my auditions and when all this stuff happens. Right. And uh <laughs> and so she kind of reluctantly we're like, yeah, okay, let's try this, and again, it was the best decision she made, you know. Uh, but that was start of season three, and they had two stand-ins at that time.
7: Okay, and then you eventually came on.
6: What what was the story there? Yeah. You, go ahead. Well, I got to meet you guys. Yes, and so there was some rapport there that first her first season as a stand-in, and they lost the the male stand-in. They were looking for someone to fill in, and I, we got a call from Kelly. Again, saying, would you be interested? And I was so stressed at my job. We were <laughs> I was managing this gym in Santa Monica. Like I said, I live in Studio City, like near Universal Studios for people that might not know exactly. A long commute, it's like 20 miles. And the gym opens at 5 a.m., it closes at midnight. There wasn't a time I was away from the gym. Right. Really stressed out. And a new lawyer was having a great time. It was a time for us to be together. And that was really a no brainer for me. Right. So this was your first time standing in yeah I had no idea what I was doing and and but, but I mean, it not only did it and, and as actors we, the, that reluctancy that I talked about, you know, doing it because there's this stigma that you're, you if you're standing in on a show, uh you're second team uh, you may uh, want to be first team, but now everyone sees you as second team and 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 I haven't found that to be true. Not only do you have a chance to show professionalism um and sometimes acting chops on a set in front of producers. But you meet a lot of great people. I would meet a new director every week. I mean, we had Ken Quapis, uh, Paul Feig, who who is like the best dressed <laughs> director in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, you know, Jeff Blitz, Harold Remus directed the first time I ever acted on The Office. Um, we had John Favreau. I mean, there was and, and I didn't have Lori had JJ Abrams, you had JJ Abrams and Josh Whedon. So it was great experience to learn from those directors, but, but to see camera movement, um, lighting, set decoration. So when you go to make your own project, you kind of know what to do. But also, when you're on the set as an actor, you you know what's going on. I mean, especially after The Office, when there was a time where I was standing in on what's called a uh, multicam show, uh, which would be your typical uh, comedy show. Uh, Right, you know, with a laugh track and and multiple exactly. cameras
7: sh- shooting at the same time, like Friends or Will and Grace. So exactly.
6: That isn't something that an actor learns. I mean, it, it is closer to, you know, I know you have a theater background like I do. It's closer to theater, but it still takes some, you know, you can go on it your first time as an actor and you can you can act confident and in, in, in any job you do. You act confident, you can get away with a lot of stuff. But <laughs> um, to really learn what, Multicam shooting is and have an idea and know what each camera is doing really helps when you're on the other side of the camera to, to know what they're asking of you and, and how to perform.
7: Right. Now you, your
6: main stand
7: in person, at least for the first uh, four years you were there was, was Steve Carell. This is St- Steve's birthday is this week. That's ha- right. Happy birthday to Steve. Um, how was it like working with him? On the set and, and how, you know, to give people an idea, actually, that that I don't even know, how was he to to talk and and work with, you know, between the setups and then going back into the
6: scenes? What, what did he want to hear? Steve is very professional. He's a bit quiet on set for the most part. He wouldn't like a lot of adjustments. If there were major things, your mark has changed. Yes. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll tell you, your mark has changed. But um he was very focused but i have to say he's the one that i and probably every actor on the show learned the most from i mean there was a lot of young actors on that set right and not that steve was old but he was mature in his acting and his professionalism i don't remember him instructing people how to how to do things but as an example he showed a lot of people the Little things that that you would just take for granted, actually, if you weren't in in the industry. Being there on time, uh, knowing your lines, having a a rapport with the other actor, communicating with the other actor in a professional way, and and especially when the camera's on that other actor. Giving a full performance, even when it's not your coverage, right? And he was always doing that. And, And I've always said it, one of my top five favorite people in the world. Right. I mean, an amazing human being, just a giving man and just a straight up guy. Like you said, it's his birthday this week. I I get a reminder. It's his birthday. I give him a text every year. He he never doesn't just text me back right away. I mean, right. when he left the show, he said, you have my number. Well, we had played golf, you know, John, You I mean, uh, Chris Workman played with us, yep. right? I remember that. And we had played golf. And so we had exchanged numbers and stuff. And I remember him saying, you have my number, you have my email. You need anything? Let me know. And you know, at the time, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I need, and I'm not, gonna, <laughs> and I'm not going to blow it on, you know, what, what's on the. I've got this spread. What do you think? You know, but uh, I actually, actually, I've waited a couple of times to say, okay, this is the time to call or right. to,
7: to text. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, well, you know, we've talked a lot about him as an actor, and one of the things that that was unique about him, in a way, and I sort of have attributed it to his improv background, was he was, and I mean this with all love and respect, he didn't want to rehearse. And I always viewed it like he wanted to bring in the performance when it was live because he wanted everybody to be on their toes in a specific way. He did not deliver a ton of performance during the rehearsal, Versus James Spader, another amazing actor who wanted every gesture worked out in advance. So how was that different transitioning from one to the
6: other? How was that different for you? Uh, James Spader wanted as much input as possible in every facet of the process. When he left to do hair and makeup and there was that 45 minutes of setup, I think in his mind, he was thinking, I might be missing something. Right. Let me get back and see. There, is there anything that you can give me? Is basically what he would. He would just sit and chat. And before he would get to a place where someone could pull him and say, we're ready, he would want to pull me to the side and just let's talk. Um, also, with James, uh, the writers wrote a lot for Robert California. I mean, a lot of big dialogue pieces. Speeches, that's right. Oh, man. It was, it was, and, and he was incredible at it. Um, but he wanted someone on book at all times. So I had started doing that. A couple of seasons in, I would be on book for anybody, but it was rarely needed. Really, I, I just got time to sit next to the monitors and get close to the director and and follow the script. It was fascinating for me. But with James Spader, he, every word needed to be exactly right. So if he didn't get the line right, he wanted to know what it was and reinforce that. And so that was that was different. Now Steve, you know, got all his lines and would sometimes call for a line but um yeah steve was steve during rehearsals he he giggled a little i remember this is neil strauss
2: host of the tenderfoot tv true crime podcast to live and die in la i'm here to tell you about the new podcast i've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half it's called to die for here's a clip
3: Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
0: My best hopes...
4: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Him giggling right. a lot, like because it was funny, and he'd take that time to laugh and get it out. I mean, although you see a bunch of outtakes where Steve will laugh, you know, right. um, which are hilarious, but uh, he would laugh a lot during scenes because we all enjoyed it and laughed and had fun. You have to remember when we're recording, we're right there. And no matter how funny it is, you can't laugh. It's not right. like these multicam shows where you're laughing, the audience is laughing. You we're just biting our wallets and Oh, those of you watching the monitor. That's right, 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 right. Over oh, look and we're and they usually put the monitor pretty close to the scene because the director could run out real quick and say, Hey, I wanna do this. And so you're just like, you know, biting your knuckle just trying not to laugh sometimes.
7: Right. I remember at times people would be kicked out of the room. Jen Salata oh, specifically yeah. comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, she like she would just be like, Jen would be like, we're doing i to- I'm doing a talking head. And she just couldn't, and was like, Jen, leave, leave, go find, Jen. A, go find, go a, find a, a monitor somewhere in another room.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, that's, that's really interesting. So James really worked with you before, yeah, kind of before, really during fun. and after. Yeah.
6: There were times where I would go into his trailer and we'd just run lines. Right. You know, because I would have some time off or we'd do it during lunch or whatever. And it was great. Um, there were times where you would hand me the script, say, hey, run this with me, or or Rain would do that. But, you know, these were big, meaty dialogues. These were like little mini, uh, <laughs> like, audition pieces, you know? <laughs> like, right. They were long. It was a lot of words. And he right. did so well with them. You know, he really did. Yeah. yeah.
7: It's a hard time for hiring, so you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: From the creator of The Bright Sessions comes a new fiction podcast for all ages. Jump back to 1997 and follow Maxine Miles as she starts high school in the picturesque town of Hastings, New Hampshire. Fall is the season in which this small town shines. Apple cider, pumpkin patches, farmers markets… it's idyllic for adults and boring for Max. But suddenly, Max's school year starts to look a bit more interesting when a fellow student vanishes. With the help of her misanthropic classmate, Ross, Max starts to look into the disappearance. Her investigation draws her deep into the dark woods around Hastings and even deeper into the secrets and lies that course through the veins of this sleepy town. This new YA mystery from writer-director Lauren Chippen is an audio drama with heart and wit that involves the audience in a way no fiction podcast ever has. Listen to Maxine Miles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail, normally assigned to him, was called off? They're
8: the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. That security union was reassigned.
7: There was a man there who had just gone in and a contract on my life, because I was going home.
1: Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, two black firemen stationed across the street, and one black police detective who was surveilling King were all taken off the job.
8: What was the emergency that caused you to be moved to
1: another fire station? Sure, there was no emergency. Chief Wallace,
8: did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. Yeah. And then what were you told? Told that I
4: had
1: been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Do you have a favorite episode of the show that you worked on?
6: Well, I mean, Benihana Christmas, it, it, for multiple reasons. I, it's, it's Even as just a fan of the show, I believe it's the best Christmas episode. It's during a peak time of the show and uh and, and, I, and I did get a line on the show, so that was that made it clo- you know closer to my heart, but it's a really great episode.
7: Now did you know that you were going to speak was i don't remember were you cast in advance no, of that
6: No, so Kelly Cantley called me to say there was quote unquote a featured background uh, extra that was going to be at the uh, Benihana table, and it was not scripted to have any lines this character but she didn't see a reason she didn't I guess she had worked with prepped with Harold Ramis the week before and said this person's gonna have to talk and so she said it's a good chance so would you want to do it I go yes <laughs> so I mean <laughs> duh I mean it's so funny right people go would you would you do this for me like what <laughs> like you would you do this this podcast for me <laughs> uh, uh yeah Brian I'm there um and so when, when I got on the set, um, it was just doing background. We walked through it, and in the very first uh, rehearsal, uh, Harold Ramis came to me and said, wouldn't you want to say something? And I said, yeah, I think so. And so <laughs> I'll I, deliver I, a
7: four-page monologue for you, Harold. Oh, I would, I would, like? <laughs> I would but
6: it, it, it didn't matter. I was like, oh, if I just say one word, because it's so great. <laughs> um,
7: and your character's name... What? Justin Spitzer. Justin right? Spitzer. Isn't that funny? So Justin Spitzer was a writer on the show, and they named the character Justin Spitzer. Now, is this con- does this get confusing for you with your IMDb page, that you're, a- you're Justin Spitzer on The Office, but not the writer Justin Spitzer? I don't know. Right. I think it's so funny.
6: It is funny. I, in fact, I, I remember uh, as I worked on the show more, and there were a couple other times where I could – be in front of the camera I just legitimately and this is probably not the thing to do as an actor who's who's basically given some roles I I went to Greg Daniels creator of the show and I said how how is this Justin Spitzer character in, 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 now part of the, he was at the Benny Hanna Christmas table and nobody knew him but now he's he's in uh the warehouse during uh you know uh was it Crime Aid? Right. Was it crime Aid yeah and um in and in an elevator and the, and, and and Greg always had a complete backstory contrived of, yeah, there's no reason why this guy couldn't have, he's in Scranton. Right. You know, he <laughs> right. So, that how is, many? A question I, that should never be asked by an actor. How, Are you sure I'm needed here?
7: <laughs> how many times did Justin Spitzer appear in The Office?
6: I, actually, being seen, I think, as it was all said and done, uh. Only three or four times, I think four times you can actually see me with dialogue, okay but then there were then for me, as an actor, there were a lot of voiceovers too, that were available because um there was no loop group for the office. Um, a loop group is a group of five or six people who go into a sound booth and do all the the sounds of a crowd, a uh, little individual. Hey over there and grab one of those. Hey Patty, good to see you. You know that kind of thing. Yes. So when the editors would be going through and doing rough cuts of the episodes, I'd get a text saying, "Hey, at lunch, could you come over and throw down a line and we'll just see if it works." So it could be something on a car radio, it could be uh you know something that was right. actually usually scripted, but um he was like, "Just throw it down cuz I need I need a voice to show it to Greg." but they haven't cast it yet. So it always gave me a chance to do it and if Greg liked it, he he, he could stay. And if it stayed, it, it was mine, which <laughs> <Right>. is great. Right. <laughs> or Laurie, or Lauries, you know, so Right. So I think we did end up doing um, I just go by like the the little residuals now, but I think it's like 8 or 9 episodes. Eight or 9 yeah. episodes. Yeah. You were but whenever a, I a get, whenever I get a bro. big Whenever I get a big residual check, I always think of you. I always go, if I'm getting a big residual check for that day, you know, big for me, uh, I'm going, oh, this is how fun to have done a hun- 188 episodes. <laughs> <laughs>
7: um, what was the most challenging episode for you to work on?
6: Hmm. Wow, that's a great question. Um, I can't think of any episodes that were mentally or emotionally challenging. Uh, well, oh, that's no, I'd have to say Steve's, Steve's last episode. Right. You know, I was going to say something like it was hot. Like when we went, went out into the woods or something, but you know, to be honest, um, saying goodbye to Steve, it was set up so well for us as a crew on Thursday, you know, Monday, we shot Monday through Friday on Thursday of that week, we went to Ontario airport and shot all the airport stuff. And we said goodbye to Michael Scott. He got on a plane and left. And that Friday, the next day was the, the last day for Steve. And we were back at the stages. I feel like that's when we said goodbye to Steve. Right. Um, I was lucky in the fact that in that moment, um, it was one of these things going, hey, put a suit on and show up on the last day because I want. Uh, Greg said, I want to throw you in the background somewhere. And so... Um, for those that remember, Steve's final time in, in the office bullpen, he says something to Creed and has a great moment with John and walks to the elevator and goes down the elevator and out to a car and goes to the airport. Well, his last scene is walking into that elevator, which is not a real elevator. Actually, we're on the first floor of everything, but the doors just close and then open the doors open up else. on the other stage and we're... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the movie magic, but... um So they had like a FedEx guy type of background character that was going to be in the elevator and walk out of the elevator as Steve was walking in the elevator. And uh, they just put me in with that FedEx guy. And so I would walk out of the elevator, Steve would walk in, and then I just waited in the lobby and the doors closed and we waited and held and they'd say cut and the doors would open. And that last time I remember the doors opened and we knew it was it. And I was the first one, right? I was literally six feet away and I just, I just hugged him. You know, Steve, he didn't, he, he did
2: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip.
4: i feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now so how'd we do today we did good. good the black effect presents family therapy listen now on the black effect podcast network iheart radio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts
0: i used to have so many men
6: even hesitate. He just hugged me, and uh, it was very emotional. It was very emotional. Yeah, but that was probably the that was probably the toughest. I, the, the the Thursday was really emotional too. I mean, it's a great it's a great ending for that character. I mean, it ended up not being the ending, but uh, exactly. But you know, he came back. But um, when he takes the microphone, when he takes the lavalier mic off, and and that's what she said, and you can't hear him. It's it's brilliant. It's really brilliant, and, but, but watching him walk away after Pam says goodbye to him was, uh, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house.
7: Yeah, but on camera, it's interesting. You were the, the second to the, other than Pam, you were the last one to pass
6: him by in the elevator. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, he, um, yeah, it was, it was a special moment because we had gotten close. We had all gotten close, and we didn't want to see this family broken up we we want. I mean, not only do you want to keep working, you know. We we knew Steve leaving uh, was a big part of our show, uh, but he was um, just a wonderful person. He is a wonderful person to just have in your life.
7: Yeah. The greater loss for the show, Steve Carell or Michael Scott?
3: Mm.
6: For me, it's Steve. Um. I can always go back and watch Michael Scott. I can always appreciate that character over and over. I mean, I have a 13-year-old daughter now that started binging The, the Office like during a pandemic time, and it was like awesome. And we, and we get to the end. Honestly, those last episodes were very painful and emotional, and I was like, oh. And we just start back at the pilot. Yeah. And, and I, can, I can go back and see that and watch that. But I had limited time with Steve. Yeah. Um, so you were on the show
7: five to six years, Mm -hmm. um, which is a long time to, to work with the same group of people. How do you feel that the office, the experience, the people were, were different than other things that
6: you've worked on? You know, Greg Daniels said, and I think he said this in front of everybody. He said that this show was really special. And that people work their entire career and don't get a show like this. Not only nine years on a show, but the group of people. And I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now. It, it is by far the best show I ever worked on because of the people. I, I got close a couple of times. There were a couple of shows I worked on. I go, this, this is what a great group. But they didn't last. And when we didn't have the growth together. Right. I mean, you talk about family. When you, when you see uh, people having children, getting married, getting divorced, having deaths in their family, and you're there for that, that's what made the office so special and made us all so close and why we probably communicate and stay together so much. In fact, I just went down to San Juan Capistrano this weekend, went to a restaurant, and Tad Schultz, who was one of the producer, uh, like uh, assistant producer, assistant to the producer, right? I ran into him. He's at, He's not even in in that part of the business anymore. And he lives down in San Juan, at Sanlorenzo. And I was like, "Oh, and you're just bonded, right?" And I didn't even spend that much time with Tad. You know, Tad didn't really know a lot of you guys. He's in a he's in a trailer and doing all the post stuff, and, right? And and all that kind of stuff, not the actual shooting. And um, but anytime I see somebody. That is from the show. All we can talk about is the show, right. you know. I mean, and I, I ran. I did. Um, actually, um, did the finale of uh, Be Positive as an actor, and I and I was walking back to my trailer and ran into Andy Buckley, who was doing another show at Warner Brothers, and I knew he had to be someplace because <laughs> there were a lot of PAS around him going, "Uh, Andy, Andy." But we talked for like forty-five minutes, right? <laughs> and there's right. no way you can. I mean, we talked about. Uh, you know, golf and football, but we talked about just old times.
7: Right. And you, you had a family basically that, that was, bo- that was born <laughs> during both the show. Both our kids. I yeah. know.
6: I mean, Lori and I were both working on the show full time until we had our first child. And at that point we knew someone was going to stay at home. And so uh, she did. And there were times though, once I had gotten through, cause we had, we had long seasons. Um Right long hours you know 23 episodes and long hours so there were times where you know i wanted some some baby time and my wife wanted some adult time the producers were amazing at letting us swap off for weeks at a time where Lori could get a break into (laughs) civilization you know (laughs) from, from from babies
1: This is Paris Hilton. Last year, I revealed the story of my abuse at Provo Canyon School. Since then, thousands of survivors have come forward. Now, I'm on a mission to expose the truth of the entire industry. In this weekly investigative podcast, me and my host, Rebecca Mellinger and Caroline Cole, will examine one infamous teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School this one is personal when you first get there you have to experience girls screaming locked up peeing themselves in the hallway sleeping and you're like where am i holy heck this is not what i expected listen to trapped in treatment on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl.
4: Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special.
0: Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear
3: hilarious stories like this.
4: At the end when he says you got some schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke.
3: I believe that. I feel like I did.
4: I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was I I, I tossed that one out.
3: Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts
8: give us your attention we need everything you got fast waiting on reparations we be the illest podcast
7: tune in every thursday politics and wordplay we fight for the people because they got us in the
9: worst way
8: from the hill to brazil bombay to kanye
9: from the left enclave to what
7: the neocons say
8: every thursday cop the heady conversation and And
7: break us off with some bread because we waiting waiting on on reparations. reparations listen to waiting on reparations on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I mean, I would say at this point, you are the person most responsible for at least a specific subgroup of people on the show. Steven is the commissioner of the office fantasy football league. Steven, this is a lot of work. You're talking about wrangling cats. Uh, those those of us, uh, especially the actors on the show. Now, we're in year, what year is this now? 17? This is season 17. 17. Yeah. We are about to embark on season 17 of the Office Fantasy Football League. I can't even believe it. Um, when we started this... There was no online draft that happened. There was no, we started doing the draft on a yellow legal pad. And the draft would take us weeks.
6: <laughs> we would have oh, there to There was no
7: time limits. There were no there time were limits. The- <laughs> no. Um, for those of you who do fantasy football, when, when it was your turn to draft, you got past the yellow legal pad. This is tr- 100% true. And then you would have to make your pick. But. You might be in the middle of a scene, or you might be in the middle of standing in and then have to go be on book. And it could take hours, or it could be passed to me, and I could have gone home for the day, so it's not until the next day that we pick back right. up.
6: The um, day could have ended, this right.
7: Yes. Um, 17 years. You are the commissioner. Are you excited that we're back?
6: Oh, of course. And last year, we did we did have some of the guys— zoom the draft which was great yeah so we got that to was all see each shy. other yes. yeah that was fun and we'll do that again so i am looking forward to that i i do not look forward to the wrangling of the cats as you say i mean we we have a very modest uh anti in you know so get, in, getting getting yes. you buy in right and getting getting the money from everyone um isn't uh <laughs> it isn't a difficult uh pay for everyone but it can be really hard to get the money and to be honest, I've paid out without getting everything in oh, but, God. but you want to have like you want to make sure everyone is is awake here, you know like I want to make sure every I know everyone's coming back right but to to actually get in touch with twelve other people that are doing all different things, and almost half our our group are actors that could be anywhere in the world. I mean, maybe not now uh with the pandemic is as much, but I remember trying to get John and John can be one of the hardest ones to get. Krasinski? Um, and- no <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> and uh
2: and i this is neil strauss host of the tenderfoot tv true crime podcast to live and die in la i'm here to tell you about the new podcast i've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half it's called to die for here's a clip
6: emailing and texting and, and, you know, I'm thinking these things are going to go through. And there was one time where he didn't get back to me for a few days and he said, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of the Amazon right. shooting something. I'm like, Jack Ryan's I had no Wi-Fi on a plane.
7: Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So 17 years now it mm-hmm. has, there has really in the last, I don't know, eight to 10 years, we haven't really had any turnover, but who are the guys who are in now? myself rain wilson mm-hmm. john krasinski previously mentioned uh you andy buckley andy buckley that's right david wallace
6: owen ellison owen ellison the writer yes a mm-hmm. uh, warren lieberstein the writer yes uh mike bertolina who was props at the time he's yes. a producer now yes chris workman who i mentioned earlier but he is um he's a camera operator now but he was camera assistant at the time of the show uh, Lee, Kirk, Lee Kirk, Jenna's husband. Right. Jenna's
7: husband. He he qualified because he directed an episode of. He the directed Office. an episode. That's crazy. yes. You it had wasn't to have worked, have worked Jenna. on the
6: show. Yes. Uh, Nick Carbone, sound department. Yes. And Greg Ubaraga, who was P- one of our favorite PAs yes, on the show. That's right. And he, Greg, is now a marshal at Griffith Park Golf Course. Yes. As one of his jobs. Yes. And I know he's loving it. He's an incredible golfer. He's an incredible
7: too. golfer. Yes, he's way better than me. Um, okay, who has won
6: the office league the most times? There's no doubt that our most celebrated player or manager is Warren Lieberstein. Okay. He did not start until 2012. He didn't? I, which, I, when I look back, I forgot. He won his first year. He must be cheating. And then he had just had a three-year streak a couple years ago. So he's won- he's won four times, um, and I- and then he got a second place. So he's pl- he's placed five times out of nine seasons. Right. How many times have I won? You have not won, Brian. But you have. It feels like I actually won. have the you have the distinction of placing in the top three the most. The most. I've placed the most.
7: I'm in the money.
6: Twice you have gotten second place, and twice you've gotten third place. So four. Well, then then that must mean I'm at least tied with
7: Warren. <laughs> He's won four times. Oh, I meant... place, but not one. I've given Warren the award. You're not Warren. <laughs> okay. Place, okay. Aside from Warren, I've placed in the top. I've placed second and third the most.
6: Yeah, second and third the most. But good news is... um krasinski's never won uh, <laughs>
1: that's not surprising uh,
6: i remember that was that was something that that rain always would dig him about yes rain won rain won twice rain got won. A third place one time mm-hmm. yes okay what about you have you won you've won i won in 2013 and then i've i've taken second place twice and third place once okay
7: i mean this is what do, what do the cubs say this is my year
6: you're always there brian you're always right there. I mean, to I think know. that the two times that you were in second place, you went to the championship game twice, right? I just or needed... one ga- one game away from the championship game two other times. It feels like you're just being know, nice know, to I me. I know, I know. <laughs> I have done... have to tell you, it is it is heartbreaking. When <laughs> I, like I said, I've I've come in second place twice as well, and when I've lost that game, it's usually around Christmas time. It ruins my Christmas. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> There is no. It probably Christmas. ruins the Christmas
7: for my family as yeah. well. <laughs> um, how did you how did you get to be commissioner?
6: It was because nobody else wanted it. That's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh and, and I did want it. I mean, I love fantasy football. It's really besides the corralling of everybody and dispensing of the little bit of money. I'm able to be a facilitator of us staying together. It really is fantastic because there's a lot of ribbing that goes on between us. We're we're close like family, so there's a, there's no holds bar actually, um, right? And but that that's been a great way for us to stay together. I mean, we like I said, we run into Andy Buckley. We talked <laughs> about, about <football. laughs> old times, but we talked about football, <laughs> right? And I had to be a, a, the biggest part of that as I could.
7: Yeah. Well, I. I will say that last year, I mean, who knew what Zoom was? I didn't know what Zoom was before, you know, this nonsense that happened. But that was really fun that we kind of finally did the draft. I know that one year we drafted from the computers.
6: Yeah, we dra- that so was that fun. So
7: on the bullpen set of The Office, when we were shooting The Office, we drafted from the computers once or twice.
6: Yeah, I've, well, I remember one time and... uh I think we brought like a six pack of beer. Maybe <laughs>
7: there was some beer.
6: Yeah, there was some maybe beer. Maybe two,
7: two beers, maybe <laughs> maybe just a couple. Um, it was fun. But other than that, that us getting together last year, that was uh, that was really fun. So the reigning champion who won last year,
6: Andy Buckley, he beat Warren in the
7: finals. Andy Buckley mm-hmm. took it down. Now that he's definitely cheating, right? Because it doesn't seem like, oh, and his son helps him. His
6: son, his son, I think the actual, uh, the name that you've registered as, I believe is his son's name. So he's using his son's account, I think. But (laughs) I think he's getting, I think he's getting some, some help, but. (laughs) Yeah. What what are some of
7: our best team names? I know that Chris Workman was, uh, a big 49ers fan.
6: Oh, he had so many different.
7: Gore, about gore.
6: Yeah. Um. gore no more when gore left yes um and then mine's always been you know steven socks i've always been socks it to him yes and uh original cute
7: <laughs> clever now i i i guess this makes me like a fuddy-duddy i can't believe i just used the term fuddy-duddy i have been bombers i've just bomb. Yeah. i don't know i never do rain he gets really into the names usually it's something slightly perverted
6: yes he's had uh i don't know what your rating is on your podcast it doesn't matter he's had cut my balls for (laughs) but cooper cup you know like yeah balls for for a couple years um but he just changed it to cut my footballs so i don't know if he's maybe oh get i don't know why he's he's cleaning he's cleaning it up i don't know yeah um but yeah you've always been bb bombers yes yeah always and um I'd say Rain is the biggest trash talker. Rain is. And Rain loves to send you the crappiest trade offers. Oh, my God. Ever. Like, yes. you're going to bite on that. Like, or he's getting a trade offer from someone else, and he'll come to me and say, what do you think about this? And I'm going, Are you, wh- why, would I, why am I helping you? <laughs> First of all, I'm the commissioner. Second of all, I'm playing against you in the, in the standings. Yes. So I've learned, actually, to help him. To hurt him. You know, in in my own way. Yes.
10: It's Dua Lipa. I'm here to tell you about my brand new podcast, Dua Lipa at Your Service. I'll be sitting down with the world's most inspiring minds to uncover what makes them tick, what they've learned from their successes, failures, and the obstacles life has thrown at them. We're going deep with people revolutionizing not just their own industries, but also culture more broadly. From Lisa Tadeo, the author redefining what it means to tell women's stories to the fashion industry virtuoso Olivier Rousting. You'll even hear me break bread with some of the most iconic and dishiest names in pop culture, like Sir Elton John.
7: After a lot of upsets, a lot of disappointments, a lot of betrayals, it's turned out to be the most wonderful life
6: right now that I could have ever imagined.
10: I can't wait to share all of this and more with you. Listen to Dua Lipa at your service on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, I'm Glory
0: Adam, host of Well Read Black Girl. Each week, I sit in close conversation with one of my favorite authors of color and share stories about how they found their voice, honed their craft, and navigated the publishing world and composed some of the most beautiful and meaningful words I've ever read. We journey together through the cultural moment where art, culture, and literature collide and pay homage to the women whose books we grew up reading. And of course, I check in with members of the Well-Read Black Girl Book Club. It's a literary kickback you never knew you needed. And you're all invited to join the club. So tell your friends to tell their friends so we can be friends who love books. Listen to Well-Read Black Girl on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Um I think that we're unique in a way and this is cuz I am in other leagues. And I think that the biggest benefit of us and it being 17 years is there's really no there's no controversy. Right? Like it feels like in other leagues it's like well how many days do you get to accept a draft or Mm -hmm. how many players or this or that like there's just kind of no nonsense and that all of that stuff has kind of gone away there's really no controversy and the draft order is uniquely determined by
6: always my kids we always grab uh, a hat a dunder mifflin hat Uh, we've gotten so many over the years right and I put everybody's name in a hat, and my kids take turns pulling the the names out of the hat. And we always the you know the first the first pull will be position twelve, and we'll go all down to the first pick. Which is funny because I have one other league where he'll he'll do a very similar thing, and the first out of the hat is number one. And I've always had this like problem with that. I'm like, well, I, that doesn't make any sense. You never say who won first, and then let's let's talk about two, three, to twelve. I mean, that's not <laughs> how you do anything. You would never. They don't give the award first place first, <laughs> and then. and then everybody you know oh let's wait around for a second place and And no emmy
7: goes to now (laughs) let me give you the nominees
6: no it makes no sense so i've been picked uh you know, last to be 12th in that league. And I've been like, I should have been the first pick, but anyway, right. It is a pretty unique way. And it's a, it's a really great way to get my kids involved in enjoying in that. And, and just seeing the age of the kids as it progress. Cause I'll, I'll videotape it and, and send it out to everybody. And at least gives a chance for everyone to say, yeah, we are, we are getting older. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
7: What, um, I know the answer to this question, but who's your football team?
6: The new Orleans saints. I'm uh, from New Orleans. Originally from New Orleans. Yes, New Orleans.
7: You've got rain, big Seahawks, right. John, big Patriots. I might have the Green Bay Packers represented, and I would say we are kind of homers in that way. Now, not a hundred percent, because we all, we do take it seriously. But I would say that we all try to get at least
6: somebody. I definitely try to get somebody from the Saints, uh, which has been easy the last you know few years with their, their offense. You know, if it's not Drew Brees, "I want to get Kamara or "I want to get Michael Thomas," and that kind of hurt me last year. But, um, <laughs> right. but you know, I want to be in this group. I want to win, but I also we have such a great time. Like when you talk about how there's no controversy, I think of like, you're just kids on the playground, right? You show up, you got, you got a basketball. And there's a hoop, and we're just playing. That's what we want. We want to have fun. So grabbing one of our players, yeah, it's definitely a thing we want to do, even if it's not maybe the smartest draft choice. You know, I, we'll move up the draft for uh, a hometown player, most definitely. Right.
7: Okay, my, uh, my producer came up with these, uh, this idea. Let's see how well you or I do. All right, if you were to hold a draft with just office characters, Who would you draft first, and what position would they play? Craig Robinson,
6: fullback. (laughs) 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 Because no one's stopping him at the goal line.
7: Okay, that's fair. (laughs) That's all right, that's fair. What do you think uh, Kevin's position would be? Although, see, you said Craig Robinson, but you mean Daryl Philbin. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, Daryl Philbin. Uh, What do you think Kevin would play? I think Kevin Malone would have to be uh, deceptively athletic, remember basketball. Yes, and,
6: and offensive linemen are. And that's where I would put him because you need someone that's going to have legs like tree trunks that are set in the ground and stable. And that's your, that was your persona on the show a stable, yes, physical person, almost an immovable object at times. So I could see the, focus of kevin just being i'm i'm going to block block and i could see that nothing too yeah, complicated no, i
7: think that i mean i think that's a <laughs> that's a that's a um you know i think that's a that would be a standard response i think what do you though, think if well i think if you were a writer on the office it would probably there would probably be a final play in the game and somehow kevin would run by everyone and catch a long <laughs> touchdown that would be that would be sort of that would be where their their minds would go i could see that um who would who would get kicked out of the game first
6: oh boy bj probably i mean uh Ryan, ryan howard ryan ryan okay fair enough he'd piss off somebody yeah um you know i could see uh i could see meredith palmer doing something where uh she just would have to be removed from the, from the game. Yeah. Well, there are
7: substance abuse. There, there might be t- testing. <laughs> you might fail some sort of test.
6: Right. Um, who, who would be the MVP? Michael Scott. He'd be, our, he'd be the quarterback, the fearless leader, for as ridiculous as some of the plays would turn out to be and as nonsensical as they would turn out to be. At the end of the day, you knew it was an honest choice. And it probably fooled the hell out of the other team. <laughs> well, that's true. Because it um, would make very little sense sometimes.
7: Again, it, somehow I think it would. It would be Jim. I don't know how, but it would be Jim.
6: Well, that's you've been seeing those pictures of his abs. Of yeah, John's well, i t- yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: Are
7: you kidding me? Um, all right, so we may come back and we may talk about this. Now our draft is coming up very soon. We get a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions directly, like I'm an expert. I've been doing it 17 years. You just heard, I've never won. <laughs> but we'll talk about uh, the league once we have uh, the player set. What do you think about that?
6: That sounds great. I always love talking fancy with you.
7: Love it. Now, uh, Stephen, sorry, before I let you go, I know you have a podcast of your own called If We Knew Then. Um, it, tell us a little bit about that.
6: If We Knew Then, yes. Liam was born in 2010 with down syndrome. Um, and it was an incredibly frightening time for us. We, when, when Liam was born, we didn't know very much about down syndrome or diversity inclusion, all these words that we hear today. And, and, um, but most of the information we had about down syndrome was not very positive. It was certainly not hopeful. And so we were really looking for a place where parents could hear those stories of accomplishments and, and, and also get useful information, you know, about therapies or educational supports, but, um, but just to hear positive messages. And, and we initially thought that these things were gonna be totally geared to the Down syndrome community, but we've, I guess, through constantly learning and evolving, we've realized that so many of our guests have given information that's needed by all parents. And, right. and it's helped us with both our kids. We just recently talked to an attorney about family trusts. Uh we 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 talk about the importance of self-care for parents uh through guided meditation was one way. Uh we had a pediatric dentist on just about introducing your child to to a healthy dental routine, you know, and uh we had a, a Zen Buddhist on the uh, Zen Buddhist priest on the show about talk about fear. I mean, that's a main thing. We, we're only scared of the unknown and fearful of that because we don't know it, right? So the more information we can gather, the less fear we have. And these things benefit all parents. And really to get down to it, though, even the stories that are more specific to Down Syndrome, we all learn from. Right. We interviewed a couple of times Chris nikic uh, he is the first person with Down syndrome to finish an Ironman. He won the Jimmy V Award on the ESPYs recently. And, um, and, and how he broke through stereotypes. And we had a, a, a young dentistry student from Syria, Sadr Isa, who was raised by a father who has Down syndrome. I mean, his father has been married for 30 years, goes to work every day to support his family. And, or siblings, like we've had our daughter on, one of the things that we see the most is that parent is so worried for the other kids or the other family members. Like, what's the repercussions? Is the thought process? What's 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 going to happen to these to the the kids we have? And overwhelmingly, we found that it's it's a wonderful experience. uh, uh right. We we got a chance to talk to Steve Guffison, uh, from Ten Thousand Maniacs, and he had his his sister Kathy had Down syndrome, and we talked to him about what he learned about her and. And many people from the entertainment industry, too, to talk about the importance of inclusion in media. And that is that is a big hashtag right now, inclusion. And it is very important for the disability community as well. Right. Um, but we talked to Julianne Robinson. She's the EP of Bridgerton. And that show has broken a lot of barriers. But she also did a movie about uh, an adult with Down syndrome. so. So yes, the podcast focuses on down syndrome and I highly recommend sharing it with anyone you know who has someone with down syndrome in their life. But I think in doing it I've realized how much we can learn from each other, especially, you know, from people we assumed were very very different from ourselves, you know, and and we really aren't all that different. Right. When it gets down to it. I mean, that that's inclusion and the more we include those stories, tell those stories, the more we include all the people in our society to join the table, to join the discussion, to truly be a voice in our society, the better we all are.
7: Right. If we knew then a podcast from Stephen and his, and his wife, Lori, for what it's worth, some of my favorite days uh, on set were when people's kids who were either born during the show or not came in, Sophia, Liam, Walter, we talked yeah. about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rain's kid, um, just Angela's Angela's daughter. Angela's daughter. Well, she basically lived there, right? <laughs> totally. I think, I think she, she did live in the trailer. She lived in the trailer. She never went home. Um, no, Isabel. That of course is not true. Um, <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. You had a very significant and important role on the show. But also, you are an important part of our Dunder family. And uh, I-, I want you to know you, Lori, your kids, all of you are, um, are very special to me. And, uh, and I-, I appreciate you coming in. I appreciate all of the work that you do keeping <laughs> <laughs> the fantasy football league going. And, um, and I love you and appreciate you. And let's talk some more throughout the season.
6: Love you, Brian. All right. Definitely. Thanks for, um, thanks for just bringing back some amazing memories. I mean, it, it's, it, it's not often that we get to like sit down and really like talk about, you know, I don't know if you ever knew any of the, the, that way I got on the show or anything, and, and it's just neat to hear that stuff and, 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 to, and, to say, and to say that stuff really, it's really fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.
7: All right, Steven, AKA Socks It To Me. Uh, Steven, thank you so much for coming in to talk to me today. We're going to have you back throughout the season to keep us posted on on how, how the competitors are faring, how our, our teams are doing this year. Uh, also, catch Steven and his wife, Lori, on their podcast, If We Knew Then, where they talk about their family, parenting, and, and they do incredible work raising Down syndrome awareness. Also, keep listening to this podcast, The Office Deep Dive, for future updates about The Office Fantasy Football League. Until next time, we will see you. Well, we'll see you on Tuesday. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our producers for this episode are Liz Hayes, Emily Carr, and Diego Tapia, and our intern is Hannah Harris. My main man in the booth is Colin Tedeschi. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.
4: Hey, Elizabeth, you're the co-host of that new podcast, Ridiculous Crime.
0: Why, yes, I am.
4: You know what's ridiculous?
0: Yeah, carpeting in kitchens and bathrooms.
4: Oh, wow, you are good. But you know what's also ridiculous? A 16-year-old who breaks into a car dealership and steals Guy Fieri's Lamborghini. What? Yes, to impress a girl. I'll tell you all about it on Ridiculous Crime, our podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free. And 100% Ridiculous.
0: Listen to Ridiculous Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
9: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: From Cavalry Audio, the studio that brought you The Devil Within and The Shadow Girls, comes a new true crime podcast, The Pink Moon
7: Murders. The local sheriff believes there may be more than one killer. They were afraid to face it out in that area. The family was targeted. Most of them targeted while they were sleeping.
4: The Pink Moon Murders is available on February 22nd, and you can follow The Pink Moon Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: it gives me a lot of hope.
0: If you liked Locatora before, you're gonna love season nine.
5: Subscribe to our show, and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora
0: Radio as part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie.